0: Speak Lord, speak Lord, speak Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God be praised. It's a blessing to be back home. 21 years the Lord has allowed me to be in love with the Liberty Heights Church, and I love you more now than I loved you back then, last year, or even yesterday. It's a special bond. I really mean that, it's a special bond that God has created, not only created, but sustained and kept in a very vibrant way. Very grateful to Pastor Brad Cunningham for entrusting me with you. And thank you, my dear brother, for your constant friendship and love. My sister, all of you, to my special friend, Miranda, that I love very much. That's my girl, hey. And uh, the warmest greeting that, I, that a person could get anywhere. And I appreciate her and appreciate all of you. My wife will be here. She's at her church this morning. She has responsibilities on the first Sunday that um, must be carried out and, uh, so that she is there. She's there, but she's here because wherever I am, she is, and wherever she is, I am. Amen. The 14th chapter of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 14. I want to read verses 6 through 14. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 14. I'm reading from the NIV, New International Version of the English Bible. Joshua 14, 6 through 14. I want to talk about when two equals one, when two equals one, hear these words from the word. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb's son of Jephunneh the Kenazite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land and I brought him back a report according to my convictions but my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear I however followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly so on that day Moses swore to me the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helped me. I will drive them out just as He said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb son of Jephunneh and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. God... Does arithmetic differently than we do? Spiritual arithmetic is different than secular arithmetic. In spiritual arithmetic, God adds by subtracting. And He can allow Gideon with 32,000 men to face 135,000. Kenizzites lay off 31,700 men in one day, leaving Gideon with 300 persons to fight 135,000 Moabites and win. Because he adds by subtracting. It's called blessed subtractions. Spiritual arithmetic is different than secular arithmetic god multiplies by dividing and he can take two fish and five biscuits divide them so that he will multiply them and have more left over than what was started with 12 baskets of fragments because spiritual arithmetic is different than secular arithmetic it's a paradox And a paradox occurs when two mutually exclusive statements meet at the intersection of apparent contradiction only to produce truth. When two mutually exclusive statements, statements that are opposite, meet at the intersection of apparent contradiction only to produce truth. It's what G.K. Chesterton, the famed and celebrated Roman Catholic lay, lay theologian, Meant When he said this, that a paradox is truth standing on his head, screaming for attention, saying, I know this looks illogical, ridiculous and ludicrous, but if you come closer and listen to me, you will discover that there is logic in what seems to be illogical and sense in what seems to be nonsensical. It's what Jesus meant when he talked to us about what it means to follow him because if you follow Jesus, you have to follow him paradoxically. He doesn't make sense. He's not logical, he's super logical. He's beyond logic. He says, if you really wanna live, you gotta die. You say you wanna be exalted, you have to be humble. You want to be first, you've got to be willing to be last, you wanna sit at the end of the table you got to sit at the end of the table. You want to find your life. You got to be willing to lose your life. And Paul, in a very succinct way, sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. He says, I glory in my weaknesses, in my hindrances, in my insults, in my persecutions, in my difficulties. For when I am weak, That is when I am strong. And here, God wants to teach us from this passage that two equals one. Two individuals, Caleb and Joshua, becoming one in leadership with the same motive, the same goal, the same purpose to exalt God and edify the congregation of Israel been 45 years since we've heard this voice the voice of Caleb it's as if God has declared a moratorium on speech we haven't heard Caleb's voice for 45 years 45 years ago in numbers 13 and 30 we heard him speak when he said to the congregation he still the congregation that is he brought composure to them He brought tranquility out of turbulence because they were dismayed hearing the report of the majority of the spies who said they're giants in the promised land and there's no way that we can take that land. But Caleb stilled the people and told them with God's help, we will be victorious. It's been 45 years since we've heard that voice from Holy Ritz. 45 years ago, moses had said in numbers chapter 14 verse 24 because caleb has a different spirit and has followed the lord wholeheartedly which you see in joshua chapter 14 verse 9 verse 13 and 14 he's followed the lord with unswerving and consistent dedication because he has wholeheartedly followed the lord God would grant him an inheritance for himself and for his people. And now after 45 years, we hear the voice of Caleb one more time saying, it was 45 years ago when I was 40. I am now an octogenarian. I am 85 years of age and I'm just as strong now as it was then. And I'm just as vigorous for battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country which the Lord has already promised to me 45 years ago through Moses, the, the predecessor of Joshua. What a statement and what a reminder that God can take two people, Caleb and Joshua, and yet make them one in terms of... Of not only assuming but executing his own purpose Caleb and Joshua Caleb said to Joshua you remember what Moses said you remember what you said uh, to the congregation and you remember that Moses swore in verse number 9 and 10 that we would have this land Hebron as inheritance and you heard that God promised In verse 10 and verse 12, that we would have this land. Moses swore, God promised, now give this land to me. These two persons, Caleb and Joshua, are inextricably connected. They were slaves down in Egypt. They were born there. Uh, No, they were not slaves under the Pharaoh that Joseph served under. That Pharaoh, Joseph, rode in the second chariot and he was kindly uh, dispositioned toward uh, Joseph and his family and his people. Not that Pharaoh, but a Pharaoh who tried to execute genocide, destroy all the Hebrews by making it national law to take every Hebrew born male and throw that boy into the river. drown the boy which would reduce the male population eventually extinguish the male population which would only leave women left and therefore eventually the nation of israel would die out this is the pharaoh that caleb and joshua served under the one who made them make bricks without straw they came up as slaves they came up as individuals who experienced the great miracle of God. Once God said it's time to carry out the Passover, I'm going to send the death angel down to the the land and every time he sees a door and a lintel that has the blood of a lamb that is blemishless and spotless on the frame, he will pass over that. And yet the Egyptians, those individuals who didn't have that blood, we just got finished singing it, because that foreshadows and it typifies and it anticipates the passover lamb who is jesus christ himself and the only reason why we are saved today is because judgment passed over us because the blood of jesus that was shed for us served as a reason why god would overlook mm, and pass over our sin because his blood can reach from the lowest valley to the highest mountain, and it is never, ever, and never will lose its power. I think I just need to stop here because I'm going places where people don't want a bloody Messiah. They don't want blood. But you can't have a Messiah without having mess. You can't even spell Messiah without mess. It's M-E-S-S-I-A-H. And Jesus came as the Messiah to get us out of our mess. Don't you hear? Uh, Matthew saying in Matthew 1.21. They shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people. From their sin. From their mess. I'm glad to have a bloody Messiah. I'm glad to have the cross. Because that makes the difference. In terms of our eternal destiny. They saw Caleb and Joshua. They saw this body of water called the Red Sea um, preventing them from crossing over into the wilderness and God had promised that they would get there and then eventually get to the promised land but they had no ferry boat to take them across no bridge but God breathed upon the Red Sea, sent an east wind to separate the water so that the water stood up as retainer walls and attention as the children of Israel marched over without even getting their feet wet on dry ground, they saw that. They saw the great miracles of God. They saw God give them water out of a rock without even putting a plumbing system in it. They saw God cook bread from heaven's kitchen called manna for 40 long years. And the children of Israel didn't just want light bread, they were like us. They wanted sandwiches. So They saw God bring quail within snatching distance so that they could have meat and bread. They saw that. Before there was a GPS system, God served as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them through the wilderness. They saw that. They saw the great miracles of God throughout their 40 years, Caleb and Joshua. And here... They stand together, though they experience all of these things together, the miracles together, the great manifestations of God together, the voice of God speaking to Moses and declaring uh, what God would do. They heard that together, but now Moses is dead, and we are told that in Joshua chapter 1 verse 1, God makes this announcement to Joshua. Now, after the death of moses god said to joshua moses my servant is dead now therefore you joshua not caleb but you joshua take this people over to the promised land that i have promised to them in fact i've already given it to them and the only thing that keeps them from taking it is this because every place they put their foot down it's already theirs they've got to possess what they've already been promised. And Caleb has to allow himself to be one with Joshua and not be competitive, but be a complementary figure so that the two become one. Oh, my brothers and sisters, it is this part of God's mathematics that's difficult for us because we want two to equal two, two to be one plus one, logical. God says, oh, one plus one equals one because I am the one that you must align to. I am the one that you must center yourself in because if we stop worrying about who gets credit and only that God gets the glory, then 500 become one. Because it's not about Robert Smith, it's not about Brad Cunningham, it's not about uh, Brother Kyle, it's not about Brother Evans, it's not about any of us. It's all about him. This is Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb has to learn how to play the most difficult instrument in the sanctified symphony orchestra. It's called second fiddle hard to play second fiddle both of them had the same experiences joshua and caleb and yet the leader that's appointed by god is not caleb is joshua and caleb has to learn to play second fiddle jesus did he played second fiddle do you hear those words in philippians chapter 2 verses 5-11 let this mind be in you which is also in christ jesus christ jesus who was in the form of god thought it not robbery to be equal with God, which he was, but he emptied himself and condescended and took on the form, though he was in the form of God, took on the form of a man and became a slave, a loss, and was obedient to death, even death on the cross. Exaltation, humiliation, humiliation exaltation. For God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus played second fiddle. Andrew, the brother of Peter, knew how to play second fiddle effectively and joyously. He knew his gift. He knew his calling. He knew his lane. And he stayed right there in his lane. When he encountered, was encountered by Jesus, the first person he brought to Jesus was his brother, Peter. And Peter was led to Jesus by his own brother. Here is Andrew. He leads the little boy with two fish and five loaves of bread to Jesus. The boy only has two fish, five loaves of bread. And what are they among? 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Because if there were 5,000 men and each man had a wife, that's 10,000. And each couple had two children. That's 20,000. How do you feed 20,000 people with two fish and five biscuits? You can't hardly feed a family of five with a loaf of bread uh, and two fish. How do you do that? But it was andrew who led the little boy to jesus it was andrew who led the greeks to jesus they cried out in john 12 21 sir we would see jesus and andrew brought them to jesus it was andrew who took and uh said to those that were around i know my calling i've led my brother i've led this boy with two fish and five biscuits and i've led the greeks to jesus and what does Peter do. Peter is the one who's a part of the uh, inner circle of Jesus. Peter, James, and John seemed like to me that Jesus could have very easily made this a quartet since James and John are brothers. Why not Andrew and Peter? Why not Peter, Andrew, James, and John? No. Andrew's left out. And these three, Peter, James, and John go three places that the other nine disciples don't go. The Mount of Transfiguration, the healing of Jairus's daughter. And going into the innermost sanctum of the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray until sweat like great drops of blood fall from his brow. And Peter denied the Lord. Not once, not twice, but three times. And the Lord had already scheduled him to preach the Pentecostal sermon on the day of Pentecost. And did not uh, cancel uh, his appointment. Seems to me that um, if, if, if you would take and deceive me, and betray me like that you're coming off the calendar you're not going to remain on the calendar and, and 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 represent oh no 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 because that's what grace does grace knows what we've done forgives us grace knows what we're doing forgives us and even though god knows what we'll get weak in sin our sins are still covered by the blood past present and future so i am saved from the penalty of sin which is eternal damnation. I'm saved from the power of sin, which is having power, the power of sin over my life right now that I can say no to sin and I will be saved from the presence of sin because death will die and sin will be no more. And when we stand on the heavenly shore and ring the blue waters of tribulation from the hem of our garments, we will stand before a sinless savior as sinless people. Peter. Well, go further than Andrew in terms of notoriety. Andrew doesn't write any letters, but Peter writes first and second Peter. And yet it's Andrew who brings Peter to Jesus. No Andrew, no Peter. But the two become one, and they are complementary instead of competitive. Do you know what it's like to play second fiddle? Young lady, do you know what it's like or what it was like to have been the runner-up in the miss, whatever your high school team was called, runner-up. Young man, you, you played basketball, but you never made first string, second, maybe third string. And you never got into the game, though you practiced like everyone else practiced. You never got into the game until you were down 50 points, with 50 seconds left, or you're up 50 points with 50 seconds left, and they put you in the game so that you could say, we beat them. But you can never make first straight. Do you know what it's like to train someone who just got a degree and the ink is still wet, and you train them for a week, knowing that in one week, they are gonna be your boss, and in one year, you're going to be out of a job. And yet you who used to play first fiddle, now you have to play second fiddle. Do you know what it's like to always wind up in a wedding maid of honor instead of uh, bride? Best man instead of groom? Do you know what it's like to be in church and never get elected to chairman of anything? You do your work behind the scenes. People don't know. Your name is never in the bulletin. You're never considered one of the elite members. You work in the cry room. And you change diapers. And you give little children oatmeal, cookies, and milk. You don't get notoriety for that. Nobody knows your name. And yet that is, as far as I'm concerned, as great of a ministry as there is in the church because it's the only ministry that I hear Jesus talking about and saying, if you offend one of these little children, it's better for you not to be born than if you were born to to have a millstone put around your neck and you thrown into the sea. Because Fanny Crosby came up in the cry room. DL Moody and other individuals came up and I came up. Little teachers teaching me when I was four and five years of age. You don't know who you're handling. You may be handling a Lottie Moon. You may be handling a Billy Graham. You may be handling a Martin Luther King Jr. A Nanny Barrows. You don't know. So don't worry about whether or not people know your name. Martin Luther King Jr. reminds us, if I can help somebody as I travel along, if I can cheer somebody with a word of song, if I can show somebody he or she is traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. Everybody wants to be a drum major, but somebody needs to be a street sweeper. Just sweeping streets. And if you sweep streets so well, God knows that you're being faithful in a few things and he will make you rule over many. There's a movie coming out, Scully. Flight 1549, US Airways, left LaGuardia Airport, New York, headed for Charlotte, New North Carolina. Within a minute, you hear these words from the captain, birds, a flock of geese flew into the engines, immobilizing and destroying both. And Scully, Chelsea, Skullenberger said to the the air controllers, birds, they said to him, tried to land in New Jersey, speaking of Newark. He wasn't able to do that with no engine. He flew just 900 feet above the George Washington Bridge and ditched the plane in the Hudson River. They started off with 150 people on the plane, 150 passengers, three airline attendants, and the pilot and the co-pilot. They got off with 155 people, no casualties at all. And what has been known as the greatest ditch in aviation history in America has now been named after Scully. Miracle on the Hudson. That took place January the 15th, 2009. Seven days later, January the 22nd, 2009, Scully was recognized. And after his recognition had been given to him, he said, but I didn't do it alone. Everybody knew his name, Chelsea Skullenberger. But what about the co pilot? Nobody knew his name. His name, Jeff Skiles. And Scully says, I couldn't have done it without Jeff because while I was guiding the plane, he was flipping switches. And I couldn't do it without a switch flipper. That's really what. you may not be popular but it doesn't mean that God lets that go unrecognized the one who got two talents and made four gets the same commendation as the one who got five and got and was given 10 well done that good and faithful servant so don't worry about what people may say don't be competitive let yourself be one with those who may lead because we are all doing it for the glory of God and the edification and the upbuilding of the church and when God is glorified and the church is edified, then God is pleased with what we do. And two, Chelsea Skullenberger and Jeffrey Skiles became one. Every now and then I'll go into a hotel and uh, it will say, Room clean by number 59. Number 59 is fragrant, it's clean, it's neat. And i don't know who number 59 is and i'm just so grateful for number 59 (laughs) some of us are number 59s and people may never know our names but god does do it for the glory of god caleb was a second fiddler. caleb saw hebron this territory that moses had promised 45 years ago, he saw it and never forgot it because as a spy, he and Joshua came back with the only faithful report. Yes, there are giants in the land, but with the help of the Lord, we can take this land. The other team said, look, we have a report and there are giants in the land that make us look like grasshoppers. It's impossible for us to be victorious. But Caleb and Joshua said, We don't want to give a giant report. We want to give a grape, G R A P E, report. We don't want to talk about the giants. God will take care of the giants. We want to talk about the grapes. The grapes are so large that it took two persons to carry one stalk of grapes. And if the land is that fruitful, then that's a the land that we desire to be in. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And here is. Caleb, who saw that territory of Hebron 45 years ago saying, give me this, not any, but this, the one I saw 45 years ago. He never forgot what God had promised that he would have, even though it took 45 years to get it. Oh, my brothers and my sisters, God does not want us to forget what he has promised us. It's what Victor Hugo has said, that there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. Nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. It's called opportunity. And some people don't recognize opportunity because opportunity uh, comes to us with brogan shoes on, that is, work shoes and cover overhauls and uh, work shirts because opportunity means work. Uh, When Caleb says, give me this mouth, he doesn't mean hand it to me. He means I'm ready to fight for what God has already promised me. Uh, it's, it's opportunity that comes to us uh, as a bald head man with grease all over his head. And as it comes to us, there's a plait of hair coming out of the front of his head. And once he gets past us, that's opportunity, we have nothing to grab onto. And there's some things that happen in life that God gives us an opportunity to take as a church, as married couples, as young people. When that happens... Grab it as it comes to you. You may not ever have an opportunity to grab at it again because there's nothing else to grab hold to because nothing is as powerful as an idea whose time has come. Now is the time and we are the people. And what is the reason that we are hesitating? And what is the reason that we are holding off? He never forgot that. Helen Keller was asked one time, is there anything that's worse than being blind? And she says, yes. Being able to see, but having no vision. Being able to see, but having no vision. Never being able to look beyond today. Never being able to anticipate what God is up to and where God is leading us to and looking forward to the virgin frontier land that we have never explored. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My soul has no desire to stay. Where fears abound and doubts dismay, though some may dwell where these abound, by prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. By faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Jesus never forgets what his purpose was. He saw it. The very first words that came out of the mouth of Jesus that are recorded in scripture are words found in Luke 2 49 where he says to his mother and to his guardian, Joseph, did you know that I had to be about my father's business? Because he knew that for this purpose came into the world, and for this cause, he came into the world to be born. He never took his eyes off of his purpose for being here. And old brothers and sisters, do you know why God has left you here? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, some of us like Robert Smith shouldn't be here hearing the cancer word diagnosis twice shouldn't be here do you know God has left you here for a reason some of you have graduated from high school the most likely not to succeed people have been predicting your demise and your fall some of you are in the minds of people waiting to be Lord in your grave life is all over Family is over, life is over, health is over, success is over. But God says, I am He who was dead, and I'm alive forevermore. And God can give you life, even in the midst of the prognostication and the prediction of others who will say that you cannot overcome. You have made mistakes. I'm looking at hundreds of people. In fact, everybody here has made a mistake because the Bible tells us all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And what we have done by the grace of God is to take a question mark and straighten it out and made it an exclamation point. Same to so that we stop asking questions. Is there a bomb in Gilead? We straightened it out and said, there is a bomb in Gilead that can make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead that can heal the sin sick soul. Remember your purpose. God has given you an optical reality that he has brought you out to bring you in because he's got a purpose for your life. Stop letting people say that you're an accident, you're an incident, and you're a coincidence. No, you are a product of providence. God has a purpose for your life. No matter what you've done, where you've been, God wants to use you for his glory. Here's Caleb. He not only plays second fiddle. He not only knows what his destiny is in terms of the inheritance that God has promised to him. Verse 14. But he is an individual who's not ready to retire. Do you hear him say in verses 10 through 12? I'm as strong now as I was 45 years ago. That means... He's 85, and I'm just as vigorous for battle as I was 45 years ago. And the only way you can say that is, if you're 85, I'm 68. If the only way you can say that is, uh, you have to be saying it depending upon the strength of God. Uh, Who's 85 years of age who's just as strong as they were 45 years ago? Who's 85 years of age who's just as vigorous as they were 45 years ago? But in the Lord's, Caleb is not ready for the rock and chair syndrome. I'm not ready to retire. I'm an octogenarian. I'm just ready to start all over again. The word retirement is not even found in his vocabulary. What a man! Jesus didn't have the word retire in his vocabulary. He says in John 19 and 30, Tetelestai. The Greek word, which means it is finished. He didn't say I am finished. He said it is finished. Salvation is finished. Yes, not my work as the great high priest. Mm -hmm. Because we hear the Hebrew writer saying in Hebrews 7.25, Jesus, the great high priest, ever lives to make intercession for us. And what he's doing right now is making intercession for us. When we should die, he intercedes for us when we should have had judgment to fall upon us, he makes intercession for us. He's still working. He's interceding. He's praying for us right now. And Oh, brothers and sisters, the word retirement must not be in your vocabulary. I'm looking at Brother Hunter. Brother Hunter retired from a job serving as a um, Custom designer, what is it? Design engineer. That even sounds impressive. But now he has a job that has fulfilled him more than anything else. He's teaching as an interior engineer, electrical engineer, and he's enjoying that job more than he enjoyed the other job that he served on for 40 years. He doesn't know how to spell retirement. And some of us think that we can retire from the Lord's work. There is no retirement from the Lord's work. You may not serve in certain positions, but God still has something for you to do. I think that a church that takes and pushes aside its senior citizens and say to them, you are an encumbrance, you are an impediment, you're in the way, you're too old. No, these according to Psalm 92 verse 14, you will bear fruit in your old age. I want to see people of XYZ's, extra years of zest, productive in the church, working in the intercessory prayer room while the pastor is preaching. They are gathered together in a room praying, they're sending out cards, uh, they are making phone calls to people who are sick and people who have left the church or not coming to church. I want to see individuals. 80, and 90 years of age volunteering in ministry and not just retiring from it because they have gotten to a certain age you know what the Lord says in Revelation 2 and 10 be thou faithful unto death and then I'll give you a crown of life you want to know when you're gonna retire when you die and then when you die you're gonna make a transition where you're still going to be active in heaven we're not just going to sit down by the river and dangle our feet in the crystal fountain and reminisce we're going to be faithful and serve in serving the lord and these are years senior citizens like caleb these are years that can be productive for you so many places where you volunteer hospitals wellness centers in terms of of cancer recovery patients and Catherine Booth Holmes for unwedded mothers. And on and on and on and on. I've seen too many people retire, sit out in a rocking chair, they're dead two months later. Mm. God has given you a mind and given you wisdom. And young people need to hear your wisdom and your experience because they are standing on your shoulders and you are a most vital part of any congregation. Caleb says, i'm 85 but now i'm ready to assume the promise that god made to me 45 years ago 45 years ago and now god gives him the opportunity to take what he has promised it teaches us that god's delays are not god's denials god's delays are not god's denials 45 years And Caleb is ready to get what God has promised and he's not disgruntled he waited 45 years for Hebron how long can you wait you've been waiting on deliverance you've been waiting on healing you've been waiting on reconciliation between children and parents You've been waiting on that special Mr. or Miss to come into your life. So many things you've been praying about, Robert, and it hadn't happened yet. Caleb waited 45 years. Can you wait Two, three, four, ten. 10? God is not in time. Time is in God. So you can't hurry, God. No, you got to wait. you got to trust him and give him time, no matter how long it takes. He's a God, you can't hear He'll be there, don't you worry. He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. And he will take and get a message from Mary and Martha, from Bethany and say, the brother that you love is sick. And he will stay where he is two days intentionally and make it to Bethany and get there four days after the funeral. Mm. Let the man die because he can call him back from the grave, even though he's been dead for long days. Can you wait a little longer? If you can just hold out to tomorrow if you can just keep faith through the night if you can just hold out to tomorrow everything will be all right because weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning i remember that day when my first wife wanda uh, 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 gail walker smith died after lingering in a coma for a week at the university of cincinnati medical center and she died in the intensive care unit on that seventh floor I did not know that on the third floor in the OBGYN department there was one young lady by the name of Wanda. Wanda Taylor. She was the head of the OBGYN unit. She worked at the place where life came. Gail was in a place where life exited. I didn't know that Wanda was working down there. I didn't know Wanda. And God delayed for almost three years and allowed us to meet each other, and finally to be married. And now we've been married over 31 years. God can let life break down on the seventh floor while he is putting it back together on the third floor. Far below, you don't even see it. Life is broke down on the seventh floor, but God is breaking through on the third floor. And if you just trust him and know that he has not abandoned you, his delays are not his denial. Ah, the time is about up. Let me just go on and just um, say a few more things. A few more things. I think it's important for you and I to know that God cannot break a promise. Did you notice in verse number 10 and verse 12, God promised Caleb this territory? And God keeps his word. His ways are strange. But his promises are sure. And after 45 years, Caleb will get the territory of Hebron. Caleb provides shoulders. I'm cutting across the country now. Caleb provides shoulders for his own children to stand on. Look at the legacy he leaves. Chapter 15 of the book of Joshua, verse 18 and 19. He has a daughter by the name of Oxah. She has territory. He's given her some territory in Hebron. But she needs some water. And she requests one of the springs. He not only gives her the upper springs, but the lower springs of water because that is the legacy that he's leaving for his daughter. What kind of legacy are we leaving for our children, our grandchildren, young people in this church? more than a building, more than carpet, more than chairs, but something that is so robust and vital that it is internalized, lessons that are taught, examples that are left, so much so that they stand upon our shoulders. And as Sir Isaac Newton once said, if I stand taller than others, you will have to attribute it to The fact that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Make sure you leave a legacy for someone else to stand on your shoulders, your children, those you minister to. Lessons that are poured in them and they will never ever escape. Here's Caleb. Caleb is immortal. He can't die until he gets this territory. I don't know what it felt like But God promised him that I'm going to give you this territory and that was 45 years ago. Which meant then that if Caleb, you gotta follow this, if Caleb had stayed in the will of God and died before God had given him this land then God would not be true. This is just my personal conviction but I I can bear it out in scripture. And it may be that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian may die at 39. Martin Luther King Jr. may die at 39. It's not how long you live, it's how well you live. But if you walk in the will of God, I really believe that you are immortal until God has carried out his purpose, whether you live to be 99 or 29. Because Paul is the same way. Paul is on a ship headed for Rome, but will eventually have a shipwreck at Malta. In Acts chapter 28. And the Bible says that Paul, God visited him with an angel and told him, Paul, you must go to Rome and stand trial before Caesar. Not as a political prisoner, but as a witness to Jesus Christ. You're not gonna die out on the sea. Even though a viper is gonna snatch onto your wrist, you're not gonna die from uh, snake poisoning. Nobody's going to cut off your head before time. You must get the wrong. And I won't tell you if you just stay in God's will, you can live with reckless abandon. I'm talking about live instead of trying to protect yourself. Give everything you have, knowing that until God is through with you, you are immortal. You're looking at a person, one of these days you're going to hear Robert Smith is dead. Don't believe it. Robert Smith will be more alive than he's ever been before. And until that time, every ounce of energy I have, I'm giving it for Jesus Christ. Uh, let me go on and leave you with this. this. This is it. This is it. This is it. You know when a black preacher preaches and he says, I'm, I'm closing, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm closing. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming to an end. So I'm coming down here to remind myself of what I just told you. <laughs> this past uh, May, a young woman by the name of Abby Connor went on vacation with her parents to Cancun. I saw this on ABC News about a week ago. It, it was very moving. And she had, uh, by the pool, she had an accident and she was flown to Fort Lauderdale, the hospital, uh, where she died of a brain, died of brain injury. She had already wheeled her organs so that her brain was harvested, her heart was harvested, her pancreas and her kidneys were harvested. Her father, in an effort to, she's 20 years of age, in an effort to bring about organ donor awareness, left his home from Madison, Wisconsin, on a bicycle to go over 2,000 miles to Fort Lauderdale, that hospital where Abby was taken and where her organs were taken out and harvested. He received all kinds of commend, all kinds of commendation. Uh, people let him spend the night. They fed him meals. They gave him the opportunity to, to shower. It was wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. But he stopped by the house of a young man. A young man happened to be a black young man. The young man was very special because the young man needed a heart. And now he had Abby Connor's heart in his chest and the father wanted to stop by and see the one who was now the bearer of his daughter's heart. Black and white come here, six. hugged each other for what seemed to be an incessant amount of time. See how he stooped down? That's reconciliation to my level. <laughs> and they hugged each other. Then he said, just a moment, he went back to the house and he brought out a, set, uh, a, stethoscope, a stethoscope he brought it out and he put it in the father's ear and stuck it there and said I want you to hear Abby's heart oh what a moment he was listening to his daughter's heart inside of a young man's body he saw the young man saw the father of the child whose heart he was now one of these days hmm, the father is going to show me his son the one who gave me a new heart It's, it's it's what ezekiel chapter 36 verse 24 to 27 talks about particularly verse 26 that god will take out of us a stony heart and put in a heart of flesh that is malleable and pliable and beats and will put in us his spirit Which will enable us to keep his laws, statutes, and creeds. His son's name is Jesus. And one day he did die. When we were dead, Ephesians 2 and 1. In trespasses and sin. Because of his rich love, verse 4. And his great mercy. God has taken us who were once dead. And made us alive in Christ. So that now we beat with the heart of God. We beat with the heart of his son. We beat by the power of his spirit. And this young man saw the father but was not able to see Abby. But one of these days, we will see him. And John says in 1 John 3 and 2, It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I can only imagine when I see him. Will I be able to speak at all? Will I dance with you, Jesus? Or will I say, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all pass, Home at last. Ever to rejoice. Don't you want to see? Let us pray.